See that you do not refuse him who speaks, for if they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth, but now he is promised, saying, Yet once more I shake not only the earth, but also heaven. Now this, yet once more, indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken, as of things that are made, that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, Since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire. In this passage, it becomes pretty clear that what the Hebrew author seems to be talking about is that earth and all the physical trappings that we have here, it can be shaken. And in fact... By the power of God, it can be destroyed. Not just on earth. We recognize, not I shake not only earth, verse 26, but also heaven. The existence that we can see even in the sky and in the stars can be completely transformed and is under the control and authority of our God. And so the author says, therefore, because of all this, recognizing that uh, all of this that we see all of this that we experience can indeed be shaken. What should we do? We've received a kingdom that cannot be shaken. We've received a kingdom in the kingdom of Christ, a kingdom that is eternal, that's not going to be taken away, that's not going to be destroyed, that's going to be forever. And so, how do we serve God in this? Let us have grace. What does that grace mean? It means we serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. I'd like to talk about this this morning because it's important for us to consider what reverence and godly fear really truly is. Uh, The Hebrew author is not talking about two separate things. I really believe he is emphasizing the need for us to have reverence in our lives. Reverence and godly fear. What does that mean? We don't really like being afraid, right? We don't like being scared of certain things. When I was a kid, I did not like going into a dark room. And I have to admit that there are still some times where I don't like going into a dark room. If I can, if I can turn on a light, I'm going to turn on a light, you know? I'm going to be able to see. Uh, one time when I was a kid, my dad, uh, I, I would bug my dad to tell me scary stories. And he always hated to do that because eventually I would wake up in the middle of the night out of some nightmare. <laughs> and so he would refrain from doing that. Well, one time, he relented. He said, I'll tell you a scary story. He says, you can see what I look like in the light. But uh, if I turn on this lamp off beside, turn this lamp off beside your bed, you don't know what I look like in the dark. So he reaches over and turns off the light next to complete darkness. And my mind starts to go wild about how does my dad look in the dark? And I'm, I'm seeing all these crazy things in my mind and everything. And he turns the light back on. Uh, that kind of scared me, you know. And you get sort of a fear. You know, you, you have fear growing up of different things. Um, that manifests in different ways as you grow up, right? Um, but we have to think about the difference between that kind of fear And the kind of fear that we have that involves respect. 
that involves reverence. I sure hope that none of us are terrified of God. But we know that there's a sense where the Scriptures warn us that there are times when God can be terrifying. Our God is a consuming fire, the Hebrew author says. What does that mean? I hope for us to answer that question today. We want to talk first of all in a passage from Exodus 3. So turn there. Turn to Exodus 3. We're going to talk about Moses' reverence toward God and what God expected at that time. We're going to talk about how we find in society irreverence as a general attitude that is praiseworthy. People look at irreverence as something that's good. We want to consider that when we do not fear God, it's a serious problem. And then finally today, we want to consider how we can show reverence and how we can show irreverence. Moses had gone to Midian. After killing an Egyptian, himself being afraid of what might happen in the wake of such an event, he fled, went and became a shepherd out in Midian. And we see in Exodus chapter 3, he is out and he's taking care of his sheep, but it says in verse 1, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the back of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. So he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, Do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. As we see, the Lord says, I have heard the cry of my people in their slavery, and I have decided to free them from this. And Moses, you are to be the deliverer. Look in verse 13. Then Moses said to God, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they say to me, What is His name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Moreover, God said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial to all generations. There should be something from this passage that echoes and resonates with us. Because we may fear uh, regular things here on the earth. We may fear temporary things. But we need to recognize that at least in this passage, God is establishing that He is to be revered. That He is to be feared. Think about what is emphasized here. In verse 5, why is Moses to take his sandals off his feet? He says to him that the place where he's standing is holy ground. 
Now we hear about holy ground a lot in uh, in many different religions out there. Uh, that some particular patch of ground will be looked at as holy ground or some special ground. Even in pagan religion, this has been true in the past. But I want to suggest to you that the fact that God says this is holy ground is not about the ground. It's about the fact that God was there. There's nothing inherently holy about that patch of land any more than anything inherently holy about this building versus other places in Pinson. Holy ground is where God is. And it was holy only because God said that it was holy. That should clue us in to understanding the reverence of God. God determines His holiness. He tells us what that means. He tells us what that is. We spent a few weeks uh, over the past month or so studying about how we are to regard God as holy on our Sunday evening services. And in Isaiah 40 and verse 28, uh, we get a really interesting idea here from this verse where it's written, Have you not known, have you not heard, the everlasting God, the Lord, the Creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. We could look at dozens of passages from the Old Testament that describe God in such amazing, incredible ways. So if we think about reverence, first of all, we need to remember this is who God is. Who is God? What is His name? He says His name is I Am. We're not talking about Popeye singing a song about I am what I am. We're talking about God, the Creator, clearly saying that the reason for His, for our proper reverence for Him, the proper identification that He gives to us is that He exists. He wants His people to know that He remembers them. He wants them to know your God is alive. And He intends to deliver them. Why worship God? Why honor Him so? Because He is. Because He exists. And He needs no other reason for us to love and respect Him. There's nothing else that we need to look at to understand why we should reverence and fear God in the proper way. Jesus didn't have any other reason either. In John 8 and verse 24, Jesus says to the Jews, Therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins. For if you do not believe that I am He, you will die in your sins. Now, the He in that translation, in the New King James Version, was added by the translators. And I think that that's a valid thing to point out, that Jesus is making it clear, I am the Son of God. I am the Holy One. But if you were to read that without that added word, it basically says, if you do not believe that I am, you will die in your sins. If you remember in that same passage, similar passages, Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. The Jews knew that identification. They understood that this was to be looked at with reverence. And so God identifies Himself to us. And the fact that He exists is the simple fact why we should revere and honor Him and fear Him in a godly way. But we do have a reverence as an attitude in society that we're often pushed toward. If you think about it, the world will tell us that fear 
is wrong. That we should not be fearful of God. That we should not revere, have reverence for God. And when you, you really don't have to look too far to see this as praised in this world. If you see a new TV show that comes on and you'll see uh, the reviews for it, uh, or a new movie that comes up, you see reviews for it. One of the terms that uh, a lot of reviewers like to use is that this uh, this movie or this TV show is irreverent. And usually it's a comedy. And they'll call it irreverent, as if that's just, wow, that's it. I want something that's irreverent in my life. You know? Does that seem a little odd to you? Doesn't that seem a little weird? The passage that some will use to say that fear should not be present at all is 1 John 4 and verse 18. Where we rightly understand that John writes, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment, but he who fears has not been made perfect in love. It's important for us to balance this. Because we're going to look at many New Testament passages today that emphasize how the Christian is to continually have a healthy, reverent fear of God. If someone loves God, truly loves God, the motive of fear is to be left behind. And I'm going to expand on this in just a little bit. But we need to realize as Christians, the motive of reverence in everything I do should always be present. The biblical reality is that the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. If I want to have true wisdom in God, I must necessarily fear Him. Proverbs 1 and verse 7, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. I have a choice. I can fear God or I can not fear God. In not fearing God, I'm becoming like a fool. Paul knew the fear of the Lord. Let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians 5. Paul knew the fear of the Lord, and even further, he wanted others to know the fear of the Lord. In fact, the fear of the Lord in this passage that we're about to read is a reason cited to evangelize. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. But we are well known to God, and I also trust we are well known to your consciences. So there it is. Paul is making clear that since we know the fear of the Lord, since we know the terror of the Lord, that's why we're persuading others to know the gospel and to embrace it. To live it. And that's why we're living our lives. Because we have a proper reverence and a fear and understanding of God. So the world gets it wrong. As with everything else, it gets wrong. Uh, we recognize through the Scriptures, and we will further recognize that when we do not fear God, there's a serious problem. There's a serious problem with the heart. A lack of fear breeds sin. When I don't fear God, then I begin to live my life the way that I want to live it in some way, shape, or form. To look at this, let's look at Romans 3. Romans chapter 3. Romans 3. We'll be looking at verse 10. 
Romans 3 and verse 10. As it is written, There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. Their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues they have practiced deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Verse 18 seems to be an interesting summary statement. Wouldn't you agree? When we don't have a proper fear of God, everything else kind of follows. Look at chapter 11. Chapter 11 of Romans and verse 20. Romans 11 and verse 20. Paul says here, Well said, because of unbelief, they were broken off, and you stand by faith. Do not be haughty, but fear. So what he's making clear there is that those who are Christians now, right now, must put off pride and must actively fear. That gives us something to think about. And we know that God is not trying to tell us that we have to, uh, we have to be terrified of Him every moment and God's just waiting for us to sin or something like that. That's not the kind of fear we're talking about. We're talking about reverence. We're talking about giving Him His due. And if we do not do that, guess what? We're prideful. We're building ourselves up. We're thinking that we have all the answers when we need to give ourselves completely to the Lord. The issue of pride distracts us from fearing God. Further, fear is something that helps us get to heaven. In Hebrews 4 and verse 1, the the author writes, Therefore, since a promise remains of entering His rest, let us fear, lest any of you seem to have come short of it. You know, if we don't fear God, we come short of entering the rest of God. If we fear, if we don't properly fear God, then we're not going to be with Him in eternity. That should really concern us. That should really make us think about our lives. Am I properly fearing God? Am I giving Him everything that I have? Why should we fear? Let me sort of revisit this question. 1 Peter 1 tells us at least part of the answer. 1 Peter 1 and verse 13. 1 Peter 1 and verse 13. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ, as obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lust as in your ignorance. But as He who has called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on the Father who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. So God has provided this salvation for Christians, but we need to recall and remember that Paul is calling, excuse me, Peter is calling upon us to say, I need to be careful in this life. I need to spend my time in this life with fear. Fear of what? Well, Fear and reverence toward God. 
And even if I, you know, we think about this as being fear in terms of fear of falling away, that's valid, but think about it. If we properly fear God, then that's taken care of. So why do we fear God? Because He is holy. And He calls upon us to be holy, to be different, to be separated from the rest of the world. In Philippians 2, turn over there. Philippians 2. Philippians 2. Thankful to hear all those pages turning. Thank you so much. Philippians 2 and verse 12. Philippians 2 and verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for His good pleasure. Why do we fear? Why should we work on our salvation with fear and trembling? Because God is working in you. That's why. We need to reverence God and enshrine Him within our hearts so that we can grow in Him. Further, we recognize from passages like James 1, 19 and 20 that this is a serious, serious matter. The fear of God is not something we can push off and say, well, those, you know, I don't really have to be all that serious about it. I just have to do this and do that and I'll be okay. That's legalism, okay? When you think that you just do a few things and that takes care of your salvation, that's wrong. In the same case, if you think that everything's okay and hunky dory and we don't have to do anything, that's wrong as well. James 1 and verse 19, so then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, Slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. What does that mean? That means that if I want to glorify God, if I want to reverence God in my life, I'm going to have to control my life. I'm going to understand that the stakes are high. That my soul hangs in the balance. That the souls of others hang in the balance. And so what I do matters. What I do will echo throughout eternity. In Isaiah 11, we need to really look at this very clearly. Isaiah chapter 11. Almost universally, this passage is looked at as a messianic passage. How did Jesus look at the fear of God? Uh, How reverent was He toward His Father? Uh, That might seem to be almost a, a ridiculous question because we see how reverent He was in the Gospels. Uh, but in Isaiah 11, look at the way that uh, it is talked about here in terms of the behavior of Jesus. Isaiah 11, verse 1, There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. His delight is in the fear of the Lord. And he shall not judge by the sight of his eyes, nor decide by the hearing of his ears. Guess what? Jesus delighted in the fear of God. If we don't enjoy or appreciate the reverence that we need to have toward God, we're not sharing in the delight of Jesus. Consider that. Jesus delighted in reverencing God, in reverencing His Father. And someone might say, well, He is God, isn't He? He's reverencing Himself. Yes, He is. But he's due that reverence. He's owed that reverence. Illustration that I heard one time that should really make us think about this sincerely. Uh, man had a dog. Uh, dog looked pretty rough, you know. You can find dogs like that. 
uh, that look tough, but maybe they're just as gentle as they can be. That's what this dog was like. And uh, this man's friend came over with his son. They're hanging out, and the son's trying to play with the dog, and everything's fine. And the son, at one point, starts to take off away from the dog, running off. And the owner of the dog says, uh, you probably want to hold him back. You probably don't want to get him to run. And the warning was that if you were to run away from this dog, apparently, that's when the dog would actually get scary. The dog would actually start to run after you. He didn't like that. He didn't like it when people were running away from him. And that's something to think about with God. The fear of God is not just something we accept placidly and then we just kind of live our lives however we want. The fear of God is not just a mental ascent. The fear of God wrapped up in that is the fact that if I go away from God, if I leave the Lord, He gets scary. He gets terrifying. It's all about perspective, isn't it? Sinners on the Day of Judgment they're going to be in a terrible state. However, believers, the faithful, they will be exalted in the kingdom. Through these last few minutes today, I want us to think about ways we can show reverence and ways that we can be irreverent. How do we show reverence? Well, first of all, we need to know that God is worthy. In 1 Timothy 6, we see that Paul is impressing upon Timothy that Jesus is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, dwelling in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, to whom be honor and everlasting power. That is reverence toward Christ, knowing who He is, recognizing His power, recognizing what He can do for us. Revering God is also listening to Him. In 1 Thessalonians 2.13, For this reason we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you welcomed it not as the word of man, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. So Paul is praising the Thessalonian brethren for the way they accepted the word of God. They understood that this was the word of the Creator, and they were going to give it due reverence and want to know more of it. Cornelius in Acts 10.33 tells Peter, we are all present before God to hear all the things commanded you by God. Wouldn't it be great if every single one of us had that same thought? I want to hear all the things commanded by God. Not just the things that I want to hear. Not just the things that, are, uh, that I want to lay on somebody else or try to correct somebody else with. Not just the things that, uh, that are just pleasing to hear. But everything. I want to know everything about what God wants in my life. We show reverence to God primarily by obeying Him. Deuteronomy 10, 12. Moses asked it, Now Israel, what, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all His ways, and to love Him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and to keep the commandments of the Lord and His statutes, which I command you today for your good. Malachi 2 and verse 5, the Lord tells Israel, My covenant was with him, one of life and peace. And I gave them to him that he might fear me, so he feared me and was reverent before my name. Talking there of Levi and the priesthood 
uh, from Levi. How do we revere God? We need to know who He is. We need to listen to Him in every way and we need to obey Him. How does this come about when we look at it the other way? How can we be irreverent in our lives? Well, we, of course, can be irreverent when we do not listen. Remember in our passage in Proverbs 1, verse 7, fools despise wisdom and instruction. You try to talk to somebody and try to show them the Word of God, and they despise it, they hate it, they don't want to hear it. That means that they're a biblical fool. And unfortunately, I wish I could say that all the people that do that today are sinners, that are unbelievers. That's not the truth, right? There are Christians who you will talk to the, about the Bible and try to show them some things and try to help them, and they despise the instruction. They don't want to hear the instruction. And so unfortunately, we have people who are Christians who can be biblical fools. We can also listen well, but not apply. If you remember in Ezekiel 33... I believe we talked about this last week. Verses 30 through 32. God is telling uh, uh, Ezekiel that these people, they're going to listen well. They're going to come and they're going to even get other people and say, come, come and hear the word that comes from the Lord. Come listen to Ezekiel. He has the word of God. He says, so they come to you as people do. They sit before you as my people and they hear your words, but they do not do them. For with their mouth they show much love, but their hearts pursue their own gain. Indeed, you are to them a very lovely song of one who has a pleasant voice and can play well on an instrument, for they hear your words, but they do not do them. See, that's the thing. We can listen and we can hear good, uh, good preaching, good teaching. We can, we can try to encourage good preaching and teaching around us. And those are all good things. But are we living a changed life? Are we taking the truths with us and living them out? If we don't do that, we're being irreverent toward God. We are not properly fearing God. We think we can listen to good things, but then never actually have them affect our lives. We can also fear other things than Him. Jesus says in Matthew 10.28, Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear Him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. This applies to so many different things. We can be fearful of government. We can be fearful of other governments and other places. We can be fearful of criminals. We can be fearful of all sorts of things. And think about it. When we give so much fear to that thing that it dominates our thinking, we're not fearing God anymore. We're not reverencing God anymore at that point. And so we need to be careful. Are we giving God due reverence? A couple of more things. We are irreverent toward God when we use or excuse bad language. In Matthew 12, 36 and 37, after Jesus said, you know, man will be called into judgment for these, uh, excuse me, uh, after saying that he, uh, well, but I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Jesus in that passage is talking about how people will be judged. The things that are secret will be shouted on the rooftops. And we recognize that the judgment is happening. It's going to happen. And Jesus is saying here that whatever word that we speak, we're going to be judged on. It's not like we're just going to have a few little curse words here or there and God's just going to let us slip by. Even using God's name in vain, I think people think of, you know, 
using God's name in vain is something that's rather small, right? Uh, if you think about the curse words that are on cable, you know, used to be cable would have to actually whitewash most of the movies, right? Uh, back when I was a kid, you could actually record some movies and they had redubbed some of the lines to edit out the curse words for cable. But uh, not, not anymore, right? Most of it is all on there. And we look at these things as lesser curse words, but how serious this is that, you know, in Exodus 20 and verse 7, when God is commanding the Israelites, He says, the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes His name in vain. Now there's the mode of thought that says, well, in this day and age, you really can't avoid it. Just like I said, you know, it's going to be on the TV, it's going to be in movies, it's going to be uh, even, you can hear it on the street. Well, I want to ask, can we see the difference between living in the world and inviting bad language into our homes? Can we see the difference between living on this earth and inviting the evil into our lives? To not care about this is to not have reverence and fear toward God. To be clear, if I'm uttering filthy words or allowing them into my home, I stand guilty before God of sin until I repent of it, meaning I stop it. TV shows and movies with nudity, cursing, blasphemy do not belong in the Christian's home. It doesn't matter how entertaining it is. I have no need to put my soul in danger so that I know what happens in some particular show. There is no point in me putting my family's lives and their souls in danger just so that I can be entertained. How petty a reason to show irreverence toward God. To use or excuse bad language. You know, there's actually a lot of services that we can use to get that out, by the way. If you ever look into services like VidAngel or ClearPlay, there are ways that we can get that out of our lives and still have the entertainment that we so thirst after. We need to be careful about that, by the way. But if we're just blasé, just, you know, whatever comes through, comes through, and I can't do anything about it, that's a reference toward God. You're not fearing God in that point. Because you don't care. We can be irreverent toward God when we dress immodestly. I don't have to go through it. We really don't have time this morning to go through all these passages. But I want us to look in 1 Timothy 2 and verse 10, where Paul is talking about the way that these women are to, are to clothe themselves, right? But look at the statement he makes in verse 10. All of these things, they're proper for women professing godliness with good works. Similar statements in 1 Peter 3, 3-4. Don't let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which is very precious in the sight of God. I've got a question, and it's not just for women. Are tight pants, low-hanging blouses, short skirts or shorts? Uh, sh yeah, <laughs> short shorts or short skirts? Uh, swimwear, uh, you know, men, shirts coming off in public and things like that. Is that proper for a woman or a man professing godliness? You answer the question. I'm not up here to answer that question for you. And I think society shows us a lot of interesting things when even sinners will say there's not much difference in a two-piece swimsuit and uh, a woman's underwear. 
We've got to think about this. Proverbs 11.22, As the ring of gold and a swine's snout, so is a lovely woman who lacks discretion. Again, I'm not centering this on women. Men, we have to think about this as well. And when I have no concern over how I'm going to be looked at, over whether someone else is going to be attracted to me, I've heard it said, and I agree with this, it doesn't matter your self-esteem, it doesn't matter what you think about yourself and you know, how, how pretty you might think you be or how, how not pretty you might think. There's going to be someone out there who could be attracted to you. And if we live our lives and dress in such a way that we do not care, that we're just going to make this up as we go along, and it's okay because everybody else is doing it, it's okay because uh, you know God knows my heart and things like that, God does know your heart. That ought to scare you. That ought to help you to have the fear of God. To know that He knows your heart. Whether you're a man or a woman, to dress immodestly is to be irreverent toward God. All these things come together. And I recognize I've spent a lot of time on the past two ones. But they're so important because we see them everywhere. And it's not something that is just that we see Christians talking these ways and acting these ways and dressing these ways. Are you fearing God? Are you putting Him above anything else in your life? If you're not, maybe the prayer that we have right now will help you come closer to Him. Will you bow with me? Holy Father, we beg of You to look upon us. We recognize there are so many things in our lives that are not what they should be. We pray, Father, You would forgive us of our sin. We pray You would help us to understand these things. To appreciate that we must indeed revere and fear You properly as You show us. Help us not be terrified of You, Father, but help us to be allied with You. And know that You are our provider. That You are our God. Please help us to repent of the things that are destroying us. Bless us, Father. Help us to encourage others to live lives that are in accordance with Your will. Thank You so much for this time together. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. If you're not a Christian this morning, I want to encourage you to think about your eternal destiny. Where are you going to end up? What's going to happen when you die? If you're not a Christian, the Bible answers that question. The Bible also answers that question if you're a Christian who has something against God. If you're a Christian who's fallen away, we want to encourage you to make that right. Will you reach out to God? Because He wants you to be His forever. Think about your soul. Think about your life. Please come while we stand and sing.